0: the RTI Time Machine. Today's Time Traveler is John Van Trieste and the destination Taipei, 1924. In 1924, when Taiwan had been under Japanese rule for just shy of 30 years, the colonial authorities put up a building in Taipei's botanical gardens. Unlike some of the more monumental buildings put up in Taipei, however, this was a simple brick building of two stories, not something built to impress. Inside the building, though, a project was underway, a project to identify Taiwan's plants and plot their distribution. This was the Taipei Botanical Garden's herbarium. Teams of researchers were sent out across Taiwan on surveying missions, charged with collecting plant samples from across the island. The plants they brought back were sent here for treatment, identification, cataloging, and storage. Japanese rule ended in 1945, and the early search for economically useful plants has since given way to more academic concerns. But even today, the work of surveying Taiwan's plant life and plotting what grows where is still ongoing. In 2017, well after this work had moved to a more modern facility, the older barium opened once again to the public, as a memorial of sorts to the leaders of early botany in Taiwan. Inside, visitors can see how plants were identified and cured, and where samples were stored in a kind of plant library. They can also learn about the history of botany in Taiwan, about the lives of three botanists who contributed most to understanding Taiwan's flora. The story of botany in Taiwan begins in the 19th century. Westerners brought to Taiwan with the opening of Imperial Chinese Treaty Ports were the first to classify Taiwan's plants. By 1896, one A. Henry was able to publish a list of over 1,400 local plants. These early botanists, however, rarely got much farther beyond Taiwan's coastal areas and low mountains. A more complete knowledge of the whole island would have to wait until the Japanese colonial period began in 1895. Over the decades that followed Henry's list, Japanese botanists would begin a more thorough investigation that included offshore islands and the high mountains of Taiwan's interior. Part of the impetus for this search was the hope of finding plants that might have practical uses, plants that could either generate a profit or help the military. Taiwan did indeed prove to have useful plants. While under Japanese rule, Taiwan's camphor trees would come to supply up to 70% of the world's camphor needs. Until it was replaced by synthetic alternatives, camphor was used for everything from making plastic-like materials to smokeless gunpowder and medicine. Taiwan also had rubber plants, prized ornamental flowers, and a tree found to be useful as a substitute for cinnamon. Despite the practical side of things, though, there was also a genuine interest in advancing knowledge, too. One of the scholars remembered in the herbarium today, Hayata Bunzo, arrived in Taiwan from Japan in 1903. He went to work and spent the years from 1911 to 1921 writing a 10-volume work in Latin that included both early Western findings about Taiwan's plants and the more recent discoveries of Japanese botanists. Over 3,000 species were described. Later, in 1908, two more founding figures of Taiwanese botany arrived from Japan, Kanehira Ryōzō and Sasaki Shunichi. Kanehira's work included a 1917 treatise on Taiwan's trees, a work that examines Taiwan's different forest zones, as well as the trees of Taiwan's outlying islands. Some of Kanehira's discoveries were celebrated by the colonial government. Mitrastemon, a rare flowering parasitic plant he found on Taiwan, was a feature at a 1925 exhibition marking 30 years of Japanese rule on Taiwan. It was also Kanahira who had this herbarium built, in his role as head of the colonial forestry department. Sasaki Shunichi, meanwhile, was one of the herbarium's early directors, starting in 1930. By Sasaki's time, the herbarium had only been open for six years, but already its collection had swollen and needed cataloging. Sasaki's catalog recorded over 30,000 specimens belonging to over 6,000 species. Sasaki's office with its 1930s microscope and other scientific equipment has been restored to its original condition New samples came in all the time and the process of cataloging and preserving them was exhaustive and exhausting Samples from new expeditions would first be bound tightly in sleeves to press out some of the moisture They would then be left in the sun or heated up until the drying process was complete. These first two steps alone could take days. Then chemicals would be applied to kill off any insect larvae and preserve the specimens. They would then be mounted and studied under a microscope for telltale differences that are often subtle but can often distinguish one species from another. Finally, the mounted samples would be categorized and labeled with details about the date, place and circumstances of their discovery. Originally, everything would be placed in cabinets made of wood, but Taiwan's humidity and abundance of pests eventually led to a switch to well-ventilated metal cabinets. The room was controlled for temperature and humidity using a specially built ventilation system. Researchers and sometimes members of the public looking into a certain plant Would use a card catalog system much like those in an old library to find what they were looking for among all those cabinets original sign-in sheets and notices listing rules for visitors are among the objects still on display in the herbarium today later in the 1930s japan went to war in china and eventually throughout the pacific As it did, government attention moved away from this botany project, and work slowed. Early photos suggest that along the balcony-like second floor, the original metal railings were stripped away for use as war material. They were replaced with the wooden railings that are still there today. With the end of Japanese rule at the war's end in 1945, the botany project continued. After the war, when Taiwan was handed over to the Republic of China, a new Taiwan Province Forestry Research Institute simply took over the job of mapping and identifying Taiwan's plant life. The results of new surveys were published in new journals. From the 1970s on, Taiwan's economy grew, but so too did concerns about conservation. Starting around this time, there was a greater emphasis on work involving rare plants. Eventually, as new plants were discovered and more and more samples came in, it was decided that the herbarium would need a new home. A more modern facility, where more modern techniques could be used, was opened in 2000, and the whole collection was moved there into neat rows of rolling stacks. By this point, the collection already housed more than 100,000 specimens. Pictures and data about specimens was digitized and put online. Today, the new facility houses original glass plate specimens collected by early Japanese botanists, as well as specimens from around the world exchanged with other facilities. Thousands of new specimens come in each year as the Forestry Bureau continues its research. What was to be done with the old herbarium, though? It was later declared a historic site, but otherwise little used. It has only been in the last year, after restoration work, that the site has been brought back to life for the public. In addition to biographies of the great botanists and recreations of their working environments, you can also see their equipment their cameras, collection boxes, and technical instruments, as well as photographs from their treks into Taiwan's high mountains, taken in the interests of understanding this island's natural wealth. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. You're listening. Listening. You're, yeah. listening. you're listening you're listening you're listening to